What's going on, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Raptors Community Podcast. Obviously, we haven't been recording a lot lately. It's been pretty busy for me, but got a lot of stuff to catch up on. And honestly, we're just going to jump right into it. Uh, Just for context, I'm recording at 12 o'clock, April 24th, Saturday, right before the Raptors-Knicks afternoon game. Um, I'm going to do a quick primer for this. Obviously, you're likely listening to this after. Prediction, I don't know, 50-50. could go either way. The Knicks have won eight straight. The Raptors have won four straight. Um, Obviously, the Raptors' four-game winning streak against the Spurs, Magic, Thunder, and then the Nets without Kevin Durant and James Harden. So, honestly, this run has been a bit of... Um, you know, it hasn't been like that much of an indicator that this team's going to make the play-in tournament, right? It's just a good sign. The Raptors kind of have been resting their guys. Those three games are like, you know, it's the Magic, it's the Thunder, Spurs. Like, let's just see if we can ride our bench for those games, see what happens. I think if they lose most of those games, they end up tanking the rest of the season. But, you know, they're backing it, right? Like four games in a row, that's a big stretch, especially down that low in the East uh, obviously the Wizards have won like six or seven straight now so the Raptors are really gunning for that seed so are the um, Wizards we'll talk a little bit more about that later but start with their four game winning streak um, like I said not that impressive I think that the most impressive game was against the Nets they had that strong third quarter uh, and then of course we saw Chris Boucher go down uh, with that sprained MCL we're really lucky that it wasn't anything worse because his timetable is like end of April. He'll be reevaluated. That's only five days, you know, like a week or so um, after that injury. That's pretty incredible considering a torn MCL leads to surgery, which leads to a long time off, like multiple months, probably doesn't play until sometime midway through next season. So luckily, uh, Chris Boucher, a.k.a. Swatterboy on Basketball Reference. I never knew Swatterboy. That's a terrible nickname. That ain't true. Um, <laughs> luckily, he's going to be okay. Uh, wishing him the best in his recovery. Um, let's move on to talk a little bit about Utah Watanabe signing an NBA contract with the Toronto Raptors. He was on a two-way contract prior to this, and now he's signing a standard NBA contract, which pays more and gives him more security, and it means... Yes, he's going to be playing for the Raptors more and not as much the G League affiliate team. He's made his reps as the second Japanese player in NBA history um, to make the NBA. There's another guy. Uh, I can't really recall his name right now. His first name was also Yuta that played for the Suns back in the early 2000s. Uh, And then Rui Hachimura is the third now, I believe, Japanese NBA player. So it's a big news for international basketball because, like I said, um... People from international places, you know, all around the world. There's always been a lot of European players. There's always been a lot of uh, American players, obviously. But Canada, basketball is rising. In Japan, China, all these places, basketball is on the rise. So we're going to see a lot more talent flooding into the NBA, which is a really good thing. Uh, It just proves that there is no borders to basketball. doesn't matter where you are. You can make the NBA. And that's just awesome story. Once again, Utah Watanabe story. If you want to know more about it, uh, check out our YouTube, Raptors Community, obviously. Um, they have a lot of information and I talk about uh, for like four minutes or so, his entire story is kind of sums up the open gym documentary, which I also suggest you to watch if you have 15, 20 minutes. It's about a lot of, it's about Utah's story, him talking about it, uh, his parents, how they helped him and everything. So it's an awesome story if you have the time, but if not, check out our four minute summary on our YouTube. Next, let's talk a little bit about 
uh, the signing of Ken Birch and Freddie Gillespie because I haven't talked a lot about this. Uh, it's a really good move for Toronto. Ken Birch, Canadian, Montreal native, of course. Uh, brings a lot to the team from a rim-running kind of guy who can catch lobs. He's obviously had a presence grabbing offensive rebounds, rebounds for Toronto. And he's a player that gets a lot of minutes too, which is something in Orlando he didn't really have, especially with them rebuilding now, trying to play Mo Bamba, trying to play Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, they kind of just got rid of him because they didn't really have time for him. And he's a 28-year-old on the last year of his contract. Uh, they wanted him to play somewhere where he could contribute and get minutes. And with Toronto, he's having an instant impact. In addition to Freddie Gillespie, we already have seen his personality shine through all the post-game stuff. You know, asking hilarious questions in the post-game from things like, um, he's like, can I talk about our team's defensive schemes? He's like, uh, <laughs> he's like always asking questions. It's honestly hilarious. If you haven't seen it, Yahoo Sports posts a lot of that. So check out their Instagram uh, or their YouTube. Freddie Gillespie is hilarious. There's also a video recently that went uh, pretty viral, especially on our page too, that we posted uh, yesterday of him singing uh, Party in the USA in front of the team, really carrying Malachi Flynn in that duet there. That was hilarious to watch too. So if you haven't seen that, I highly recommend you look that up because Freddie Gillespie, uh, in addition to Ken Birch, have been really good for the Raptors on the court, especially with the rebounding, and Gillespie has shined off the court, showing that awesome personality that he has. Uh, maybe I'll try and get him on the pod because he's one of my favorite Raptors already, only playing for you know a few games for us. Got a lot more to cover, but first a quick break. All right, we are back, and we're going to be talking about uh, the tank push scenario for the Toronto Raptors, because if you look at the NBA standings, the Raptors are in um, sort of what we're going to call no man's land. They're between contention and tanking for really, really good lottery odds. So if you look at the current Eastern standings, you've got the Nets and Sixers atop the Eastern Conference, the Bucks in the third seed. In the 4-5, you've got the Knicks and Hawks with the exact same record. A game back, you've got the Celtics. And then the Heat, you've got the Hornets at about 500, holding that 8 seed. Then the Pacers and Wizards are currently holding those final two 9 and 10 seeds. And it feels like for the Raptors, they've got an uphill climb for sure, despite winning four in a row. It's still going to be an uphill climb because the Wizards and the Pacers, I believe, both have two of the easier records in the NBA this year. And as a result, it's not going to be very easy for Toronto having one of the more, I think they're in the top seven for one of the most difficult uh, records for the rest of the season. So whether they should tank or push, you know, I'm sort of been flip-flopping this whole year. There's benefits to both, and I'm just going to quickly outlay them. I've already talked a lot about the benefits to pushing. You get experience for your younger players. You get the opportunity to compete. And with the play-in tournament, it's more feasible this season. So it's not unrealistic that winning games could lead to you actually making the play-in and potentially being competitive against one of those top teams in the East. Because as we know for Toronto... This team is competitive. They've got championship experience. They've got a good team when healthy. Obviously, this year has just been uh, bad in combination of a lot of different factors from not being able to play in Toronto to having Tampa fans cheering for the other teams. It's definitely challenging um, to be a Toronto Raptors player right now, a coach, uh, not with your family necessarily. So the tank push... 
Um, decision is tough, no question. Right now they're at the 12 seed at 25 and 34, but only a game back of the Washington Wizards, who, like I said, have won seven straight and are nine in their last ten. They're actually a good team, and they would be really fun uh, to see make a push here. And, and the Raptors, 13 games left, can definitely make a push, and they could no question make the play-in uh, and be comfortable in there, but just depends on you know how they play over the next few days. So the benefit to tanking is if you don't think this team can win the title anyway, which I personally don't think they can, uh, then you're just essentially saying there's no value to pushing. So getting better odds at the draft, despite them being flattened, despite them not being great, are still better odds. You're still going to get a better pick most likely so you're just increasing your chances of getting a better pick and it makes sense to me i just don't think you can out tank any of the teams that are below you right now toronto 25 and 34 there's no way that they can catch up to the Cavs, who are 21 and 38 the magic and pistons who are even worse and if we look in the western conference the raptors are somewhere in the range of what the kings are at which are like 24 and 35 the raptors are around the same ish record um and I don't think they're catching the Thunder, Timberwolves, or Rockets. So Toronto's can't really improve their odds even if they do tank. I think if they lose all 13 of their last games, they're still going to have a better record than all those teams I listed there. So who cares? You may as well just go for it. You're going to decrease your odds a little bit, but I think it's worth it to me. I don't really see the benefit of tanking when you can't out-tank these teams. And Toronto's hedged too long this season to really... Um, tank full throttle so i think at this point you just got to pray the odds go in your favor and you finish with you know a top seven pick that would be amazing for toronto let's talk about the hypothetical ceiling of this team if you make the play-in tournament because let's say they make the play-in right and let's just keep all everything the same and let's say that the raptors are able to outcompete the washington wizards for that 10 seed everyone else below is obviously eliminated then the Raptors play one game against the Indiana Pacers. Can the Raptors beat them in a one-game scenario? Ceiling? Of course. I think they're a better team than the Pacers, personally, a little bit. So I think they can definitely win that matchup. And then they would have to play the loser of the 7-8. Let's say it's Miami and Charlotte. I think Miami wins that. And then let's say the Raptors versus the Hornets. Uh, you know, LaMelo Ball will likely be back. I don't think Gordon Hayward would be in time. I still don't really know the status of his injury. But let's just say full health, both teams. I'm taking Toronto in that one-game matchup. And then Toronto has secured the eighth seed. And let's say they play the number one seed, which currently is the Brooklyn Nets. It's going to be a 50-50 shot between Brooklyn and Philadelphia, who has lost three straight. They're kind of slotting a little bit here. Uh, and Brooklyn is looking better. They're getting Kevin Durant back soon as well. So that team is going to just continue to fly. So let's say it's Raptors-Nets. Can they beat them in a series ceiling? I don't think they can. I know there, you know, I know a lot of Raptor fans will disagree, but realistically, if you've watched this Brooklyn team, they are deep. They are a very deep team. So if the Raptors were to match up with them, first of all, they've got the three best players in that series. That's a really challenging thing to overcome. The Raptors might have the next four, but I think they've got just such an immense group of talent there. In addition to guys like Blake Griffin, who know their role, can play off ball and give them a lot on both ends of the floor. Um, DeAndre Jordan, obviously like Claxton, uh, Timothy Luaru Cabarro, one of my favorite names to say in the NBA. He's also a guy that 
can contribute for them. So they've got a really deep team of guys. And I didn't even mention Joe Harris or some of those other guys that they have. So I think that they can be um, the best team in the East in my question. No question about it when healthy. So for Toronto, you'd ideally want to match up against the Sixers. And in which case, I think Toronto could beat them. I think there's a chance, a very small chance, but I think they can. Whereas the Nets, I just don't think the Raptors can match up with them. I think Embiid's going to be a problem, but... I don't know. The Raptors love to double them. They don't have the greatest spacing in the world. They've obviously been better on offense, but they're still only like maybe 10th in the NBA in offense, maybe even lower than that. So they're a team that relies heavily on that defense. And for Toronto, uh, I think that when they lock in, they can play good defense as well, and it could be a tight series. So ceiling, I mean, maybe they can make the second round. But if they do can break through that ceiling, I, I don't know. Like maybe they can make it further. Uh, but at, at best, I think you can definitely make a series very, very competitive. That team, like we know, is tough and they can be competitive, especially if Siakam is playing, you know, to his capabilities. Now let's talk a little bit about the weird story of Aaron Baines this season. I know I saw this in uh, the mailbag that I got from a few people just asking for some topics, and people want to know kind of what happened. I think we came in with the unrealistic expectation that he was going to be a Baca like Abaka's offense and a little bit of Gasol's defense. But, you know, over his career, he only averages about six points per game. And that's what he's doing with Toronto. He's averaging six points, five rebounds. We knew he wouldn't be a great rebounder. I think he just had an anomaly of a season last year with the Phoenix Suns where he was averaging 11.5 points per game for them. And obviously he played a good amount of the season. He was playing 22 minutes. And his three ball was at a career high 35% and it's taken a cliff dive to 23% this year. And, you know, like I said, this is probably just an anomaly in his season. As we've seen with Toronto, he's not a great rebounder. His shot has not looked good this year. I think that's really what's made his season look really bad. And then on defense, um, he just hasn't been great in the pick and roll. They have to drop the big, which leads to a lot of open threes, which is why the Raptors defense at that focal point in that, 1-5 pick and roll or whatever it may be the Raptors just can't seem to guard it no matter what they do and luckily the addition of Ken Birch Gillespie has made them a little more switchable on that end of the floor is probably why their defense has been surfacing a little bit more to the top now that they've had uh, the replacement of Aaron Baines and I don't think we see him for the rest of the year unless they decide to tank maybe they'll play him another thing someone asked for is a possible route to contention for the Raptors organically over the next two to three years I think the route to organic contention is pretty simple. You've got your core of young guys. You've got Siakam, you've got Van Vliet, you've got OG and Anobi. Those are kind of your three guys, in addition to Gary Trent Jr., of course, who's been amazing. So step number one is this offseason is to re-sign Gary Trent Jr. and then to sign and trade Lowry, get some assets back in return, and build with that core in addition to Malachi Flynn. Cam Birch is sort of your center, hopefully, if you can re-sign him. I think that's the the sort of team that you want to build And if you do build that kind of team with those players in place, I think they can definitely be a contender in a couple years. No question. Especially as these guys continue to develop. They're going to have a lot of pieces there, though. They're going to have to maybe find a way to ship some of them together to bring back someone really talented. But I don't know if you can maybe flip, uh, you know, off the top of my head, a couple guys for a better prospect maybe move up in the draft by trading an actual player and take a young prospect on that you believe you can build around with your core and be a franchise-level player for your team. 
The one question, though, with this rebuild is who's your superstar? You still got to find that. I don't know if it's Pascal Siakam yet. He's still too raw to tell. Um, you know, his handle hasn't been that great. This is another thing people ask. is kind of a season review of Siakam. So let's talk a little bit about him in the sense of superstar level potential. Obviously, his shot has looked better the last couple of seasons from 2019. He's shown that he can handle the ball. He's been a significantly better passer this season as well. Um, and as a guy that the Raptors have been relying on as the number one option when healthy, he's been very solid for them. Uh, he's not having a great statistical year overall, only 21 points, seven rebounds. But um, you know that's only he's only a couple points down from last season because he averaged about 23 a game last year. And considering the way that the season started and obviously all the missed shots, I think that we can chalk this season up as a dud. And when fans come back in, he's a guy that can rely on their energy to really bring him into games uh, and kind of rise up to the occasion of becoming that number one guy. So we still have to see if he can be that. I think he'd be a good number two. So for Toronto, like I said, in the superstar uh, conversation, they've really got to look to find someone who can be uh, that number one guy with a stamp and that's where they're going to develop through the draft probably this season maybe next season and potentially through a sign and trade with Kyle Lowry as well all right we got a lot more to cover but before just a quick break what's up we are back and we've got a few more things to cover first we're going to start off with the potential of Malachi Flynn another question that came in on Instagram uh, and in my opinion, he looks a bit like Fred Van Vliet. He's a very shifty player. He can score off the dribble. Uh, he's a good shooter and playmaker. And he's a hard worker as well. I think that's really where I see him very similar to him. Obviously, both of them are undersized guards. But I think I've been very impressed with what I've seen from Malachi Flynn, especially in April. Here are some of his box scores from April. 22 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 steals, no turnovers. Solid game. This was in April. Uh, all of these six games are in April, too. So that's just a little caveat here. 20 points, 11 assists, three turnovers. 16 points, five assists, five rebounds. 16 points, three blocks, four steals, four assists, six rebounds. 16 points, seven assists, four rebounds, two steals. And then 15 points, five assists, seven rebounds. These were all in April. He has been amazing the month of April. I've been very impressed with the potential that he's shown. He's really shown flashes of star potential for the Raptors, similar to what we saw in the preseason. He's really shown and he's showcasing why the Raptors drafted him. And I'm really excited to see what he does over the next couple of years as he continues to develop Still a very, very young player with so much potential as a rookie. Next thing we're going to talk about a little bit is the Raptors' upcoming free agency. And especially specifically, they want to know like free agencies, draft, trades, what they should do. For the draft, I'm not very well versed. And if their draft pick falls outside of the top two, actually the top five, I don't really know who they should draft. Um, I think Damian Mitchell is like the sixth best player in the draft, apparently. So maybe... Um, they should just, you know, draft the best available player. That's my recommendation. I don't really know much about the draft this year. But as for free agency, this is something I know a lot about. And what they should do is simple. 
re-sign the assets that you already have. We've seen players like Ibaka, Gasol, Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green leave in the last two seasons. And it hurts to see people go and walk for nothing. So it's very simple what you do here. Kyle Lowry wants a $25 million contract. The only two teams that can sign him is the teams with his bird rights, us, and potentially the Miami Heat if they keep their cap space open. So for Toronto, they've got to say, we're going to give you 25 mil. Straight up, you want 25 million? We'll give you that for two years, $50 million. And then you sign him and trade him to a team like Miami, the Sixers, whoever needs him. It really depends on how the playoffs go and teams that become desperate this offseason. Find a desperate team. Give them Lowry. Uh, get some young assets in return. That's a really big move Toronto has to make sure they do. Another one is re-sign Ken Birch. It's simple. Another guy you can get on a minimum contract. He's a veteran in the league. And he addresses a lot of the issues uh, that this team had this year prior to signing him. Then a big one is re-sign Gary Trent Jr. He's a restricted free agent, so you just have to match an offer sheet that other teams essentially give him. And at that point, the Raptors got to match the highest bidder and just pray that he doesn't get paid more than $20 million a year. I don't think he will. I see him more in the OG range, maybe even lower of like $16, 17000000 million a year is my prediction of what he's going to get and what he's worth now. Um, probably 15 plus though is, is my assumption, especially the way he's been playing lately. Next topic we want to cover a little bit is OG Ananobi and Gary Trent Jr.'s potential. So let's start with OG. My opinion, he can be one of the best players in the NBA on the wing. He already is, but I think he can be the best wing defender in the NBA. He has that level of potential, quickness, really good hands. He's long, he's athletic. He's the perfect guy out there on the wing for Toronto's future as a defensive anchor to guard the other team's best players. Another thing he needs to grow, though, as um, is like as a ball handler. He has to become better at becoming a ball handler, shooter off the dribble. And if he can, I think he can become a Paul George-level player, probably a little worse. But I think he can become discount Paul George. That's my comp for his potential. I don't think he can ever get to the level of post-injury Paul George. He definitely can't get to the level of pre-injury Paul George. But... Uh, I don't think he can get to that level because, as we know, Paul George was a close-to-MVP candidate. I don't think he can get to that level, but if he can develop as a ball handler, maybe he can become a 20-7 and seven sort of guy on good efficiency and a really elite defender. As for Gary Trent Jr., I think he has all-star level potential, no question. He's only 22 years old. He's got that irrational confidence. He's an amazing shooter. Uh, similar to OG, he needs to work on his ball handling and creating off the dribble. But at only 22 years old, I think him and OG are going to be a crazy duo on the wing for Toronto, especially on the defensive end over the next few years if Toronto re-signs them this season, specifically Gary Trent Jr. One, another question someone had was, should the Raptors trade Siakam this offseason? And my answer simply was no. You won't get the value you want in return. You won't get a one-for-one -one swap most likely. You're going to end up getting pennies on the dollar, which doesn't make sense at the current state of this team. Right, we're not really in contention, we're not really tanking, we're sort of in the middle there. And so right now we gotta keep these assets and only make a trade if need be. There's no reason to be desperate. Siakam is still a really good player. And my message to Raptor fans who want him to be traded is just to be patient. Alright, and let the team continue to develop him. Despite being twenty seven, he's still a project player because he's only been playing basketball for ten years, and I know that's the classic excuse for Siakam, but it's true. Imagine playing basketball at age 17 versus someone who started at age 7. He's still got a lot of development to make as a ball handler, as a dribbler, and I think that he can still grow and become a better player. Now the question they ask is, what is Toronto's 2021 starting five going to look like? Starting five is probably going to be 
Van Vliet, Gary Trent Jr., OG Ananobi, Siakam, and Kem Birch at the center, unless they find some other replacement for Kem Birch or potentially draft a center. But I feel like if you draft him, initially he's going to be off the bench with like Malachi Flynn, Chris Boucher. The Raptors are going to have a really good team next year. I'm super excited for the rest of this season and next season too. Final thing is non-Raptors related. So if you're a diehard Raptors fan only, you can turn this off. If not, I'm going to give you some playoff predictions of the teams that are going to be in the conference finals. It's going to be pretty simple and quick. For the East, the Nets, and I think that goes without saying. They're the best team. They've got three superstars. If healthy, there's no question in my mind that they're going to blow through the first two rounds. And the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks have been through a lot of playoff failures versus a team like the 76ers which I think are the three teams that are in contention for uh, those two spots in the Eastern Conference Finals. And the playoff failures are going to lead them to become a better team in those crunch time situations. The addition of Drew Holiday is going to be huge for the crunch time as well, given that they're going to be able to you know, put him in the pick and roll, specifically put Giannis in the pick and roll with him. And you could have Giannis cutting towards the basket, Give it to him, he's unstoppable down there. Or you can create a shot off the dribble. Give it to Middleton as sort of a release valve and he can get a shot too. So they've got more options now down the stretch for ball handlers, creators, and scorers as well. And for the Sixers, I still think they're a bit young. I I just don't think they're ready yet. I think they need to go through the woes of playoff losses before they can just instantly jump. They obviously had the Raptors um, beat them in 2019, but that was sort of more fueled by Jimmy Butler. I think this new core with all the players they have now need to go through some up highs and lows before they can make a deep run like that. And in the West, call me a, a homer. Call me a, you know, wants to see the best possible series, but I'm going Lakers-Clippers. And the Lakers goes without saying, if healthy, no question they're going to be there, in my opinion, unless, you know, there's a huge upset, which is definitely possible, but... That's just my take. And the and the Clippers, they have addressed a lot of their playmaking issues with the addition of um, Rajon Rondo. As I said on the Baller, on Baller Nation's podcast, the Off the Dome podcast, I essentially said that their playmaking issues uh, is one of their biggest weaknesses. And adding Rajon Rondo, I said this specifically, trading with Atlanta to get him um, would be huge because he's a playmaker. He's a distributor, and he brings that identity to the team. And we're already seeing that the chemistry looks really good, and they're looking amazing this season. Even with Kawhi out a few games here, the chemistry looks good. The team looks serious. They're playing back-to-backs when healthy. Uh, They don't think they're the the reigning champs, as they did last year, which they kind of looked like a bit, a little like that that cocky walk of a team that won the title just because they had the reigning finals MVP in Kawhi. But they've been very low-key this year. And I think being under the pressure, like not having pressure, is going to really benefit them when the playoffs start because they can probably cruise a little bit before it gets serious. And I think I see them in the conference finals. And I want to see, and I think it's going to be Nets-Lakers. Thank you guys very much for listening. I really appreciate uh, all the listens. Make sure to subscribe to the pod. Rate it five stars, please. Don't If you don't like it, don't rate it. Otherwise, it's going to hurt my feelings, all right? <laughs> all right, thanks for listening. I will catch you on the next episode.